Hello and welcome back to another episode of Wealthy UK. This week, Wealthy co-founder Dominic Neshi invited me onto the Wealthy podcast to have an in-depth conversation about the UK property market. We discuss market trends that we've experienced over the past 24 months, providing a great overview of the UK market and its performance. We also discussed a number of emerging markets that we believe make a fantastic investment in the UK at the moment, most notable being Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool and Newcastle. Now, I think this is a fantastic podcast for anyone looking to get started in real estate in the UK. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me, give me a call, send me an email, uh, and we'll more than happy to have a chat with each and every one of you. Hope you enjoy and thank you once again. Welcome everybody to another Wealthy Podcast. And today we are very lucky because we've got the wonderful Chris Hines from London. He is heading up our European Wealthy office. And this podcast is especially important for any of you out there that have been thinking or dreaming about one day buying property overseas. I know as a young guy, I always wanted to buy real estate in London and Italy and Portugal. And this has been one of my life's ambitions. So it's been awesome to be working with Chris because now we've got a man on the ground. And for the past six months, he's been researching the top markets around the UK. Um, and he has a long history of dealing with different properties, international properties properties in Portugal, his father's a developer, his family works all over Europe, and he has been an estate agent over there for quite a while. So we're blessed to have Chris uh, on the team working for us over there and to have him on the show today. Chris, thank you for joining us. I know that it's late over there. Yeah, no, what an intro. Thank you, Dom. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I'm really looking forward to having a chat to you today and hopefully educating some people in Australia uh, about the, the UK market and what's been happening over here over the last sort of 12 to 24 months, you could say. But yeah, thank you once again. And thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Yeah, look, it's, it's very exciting for me because you and I talk uh, very regularly. We're always talking about the different sites, the different areas, the infrastructure that's going in, the different investments in infrastructure and how the UK is changing. I mean, people kind of think about the UK, they think of Brexit, they think of London. And outside of London, they're really, it's hard for them to really conceptualize many other markets. But they, they often think, well, London, very, very expensive, and they are correct. Um, and that's what's led you and I, especially you, to go and look for other opportunities to, to apply the wealthy methodology for research to the other markets around the UK. Um, but before we jump into those markets, can I ask you, how, how is the UK performing? What, what yeah. have you seen in London, the UK generally? Certainly. So I, as we all know, London is a, a strong market. It's, it's almost its own country, in a sense, when you look at the UK, and it's always going to perform extremely well. I think they're now saying that, you know, you're almost ensuring that your property is going to double in value in about 8.7 years, is what they're saying now. So it's a, it's a strong market, and you're going to see some sustained growth in that London market, no doubt. And we're starting to see that ripple effect out from London. People, I guess COVID has definitely sped up the situation, but People now want that space. They don't want to be crammed up in their little two-bedroom flat or three-bedroom flat, whatever it may be, in London with no outdoor space, not having a balcony, not being able to go for walks in the countryside. So I think COVID's accelerated the way in which people in London have taken their perspective on living, um, and, and now they're looking for more space. So we're seeing that rippling effect out of London, and it's really helping places down south. Um, you could say in the likes of Surrey, for example, property prices have started to over the last 12 months have really accelerated 
um, quite astronomically. And then the same goes for Kent, people looking for those commuter belt um, locations where they can get into London quite accessibly. And then when we look to the north of London, so this starts to include Birmingham. Uh, and we've spoken about Birmingham a lot in the past, and it's a very, very strong market now. It's you know, it's it's now deemed the UK's second largest economy. Um, and it's it's a powerhouse in itself. So we're seeing some very strong price growth in Birmingham now. And I think there's a number of contributing factors that tie into that, but a big thing being infrastructure projects that are going into Birmingham. And um, as we've seen, we've got the, the HS2, the high-speed rail line that's that's connecting London to Birmingham in about 45 to 50 minutes, um, give or take. So that's really going to help its position as a commuter city outside of London, where you can get into uh, an affordable brand new two or three bedroom apartment, for example, and, and you're looking at around that three, uh, 250 to 300k mark. Uh, and you compare that to London and you look at a two bedroom in London. Uh, and I think you know, you're looking at close to that 600, 700,000 pound mark. So from an price point perspective, from an affordability perspective and the standard of living, Birmingham's really cemented itself as a commuter city to London. And then when you look further uh, further north from Birmingham, I think well, the Manchester and Liverpool over the last 12 months have performed extremely well. Liverpool saw price growth of, of 10.5% in the last 12 months year to date. So that's performed very, very well. Manchester is, is following close in suit. That's at about 8.7% uh, uh, year to date in terms of price increase. So they're both performing extremely well in themselves and they're connect, creating almost a, you could say almost a London outside of London. They're, they've got the, the sports, they've got the venues, they've got, you know, Manchester United, Manchester City, uh, Old Trafford Cricket Club. So they've got the international recognition now um, due to their sporting accolades. Um, but then you're also seeing create or large creative business or any business, really corporate businesses um, relocating their headquarters up to Manchester. And we saw this with Birmingham. We saw the likes of PwC, KPMG, Goldman Sachs, um, Deutsche Bank's another one move up to Birmingham when the HS2 line was finalized, because from a business perspective, if they can relocate all their staff up to Birmingham and it's a more affordable place to live, um, and then rents from a from a commercial perspective are much more affordable as well. It makes sense from, from that business standpoint. But we've seen some very, very strong uh, price growth over the last 12 months, despite everything that has gone on with COVID, um, as bad as it's been over here. But we've, we've come through the other end, and the UK as a whole is up about 6.5% in terms of price growth for the year as well. So it has performed well. It's It's been a strong market. The UK, I think, is quite fortunate in its in its, I guess, international recognition now, and it always has had that international recognition, but it holds a very strong economy. And um, I think that we're quite fortunate that we've got through this COVID situation relatively unscathed from a property perspective. Um, and, and I think there's, there's some big things on the horizon for the next 12 months now as we yeah, slowly dwindle out of these COVID times and, and into the, the new era, as some might call it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's been good. So it's, you can tell that you're, you're, you're bursting at the seams with energy. There's so many markets that you mentioned there, and we could probably spend an hour on each of them. Yes, so for any of you out there that are watching this, listening, pay attention, and you are interested in going deeper, Chris has his own series where he jumps into each of these markets, where he's talking about Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, you know, Newcastle, uh, Surrey, yeah, some of these markets, and... You can dive in, listen to his presentations, and he gives you a deep and thorough understanding of why these cities are starting to really blossom. Now, some of the things that I've been learning, listening to you and watching you is it sounds like since Brexit, 
the UK and I suppose London and the UK have realized that they were over-reliant upon London and they wanted to start to invest in other cities around the UK to make them their own economic powerhouses. And that's where this HS2 has come into place. So for all of you that heard Chris say that, essentially what the UK has been doing is, is bringing out a new high-speed rail to connect many of the cities that are in the north. Now, that really excites me. So currently, what, what's it take to get to Birmingham? Is it like an hour and a half or something? Yeah, or? at the moment, it's about an hour and a half to two hours, depending on which train you get on. But yeah, about an hour and a half to two hours at the moment. And then the HS2, the high-speed rail, is coming in. And when does that complete? That'll be completed towards the end of 2026 at this rate, um, given no more delays. Fingers crossed there's, there's no more. But yeah, 2026 at this day. So as an investor, really, we see this as an opportunity because suddenly by 2026 or 2027, um, if there are some delays, people living in Birmingham now have the opportunity to commute into London for 45, 50 minutes, which is just a normal commuter time. Exactly. It's, it's what my other half takes to get to the hospital in the morning, for example. It's a 45-minute commute door to door. So I think it's really going to open up the opportunity of, of commuters living or working in London and living in Birmingham. And you're going to be dropped straight at Euston Station uh, in central London and get straight on the tube from there and be at your door or be at your office in, in 10, 15 minutes from there. So you're really probably looking just under an hour door to door if you're living within close proximity to the, the station in Birmingham. But it's it's a fantastic opportunity. I think that that the power of HS2 for the whole of England and if the plans go ahead and keep pushing up through the north of England and push up to Manchester, push up to Leeds, unfortunately, from what we've seen in the news today, the, the plans to Leeds, sorry, have been scrapped. So they're uh, at the moment, the plan, if it stays as it is as of today, will be going up to Liverpool and from Liverpool, they're going to decide later on down the track what to do with the extension of the line. But it's as, as you've mentioned, getting into Birmingham now before 2026, you're definitely capitalising on some very strong price growth to come once that line is completed. And the same goes for Manchester and Liverpool. If if you can manage to capitalise on the opportunity that lies there at the moment, um, and yes, that's drawn out a little bit further. It's 2033-ish is when they're saying you'll have completion up to Manchester and Liverpool. But nonetheless, that gives you what, about 12 years now of price growth if you were to buy something this year. Um, and, and once you do, once we do see the line finally completed up to, to those cities, I think we're going to see, there's just going to, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how prices do respond, but I think we're going to see some very strong price growth off the back of that, no doubt. Well, that's the game, right? I mean, everybody wants to make a dollar today, but when you buy a real estate, it's, you know, you keep on making dollars so, forever. And, you know, when you're looking at it with a 10, 15, 20 year timeline, then that's the real benefit, right? And, you know, when we think, when we think in, um, you know, we've got to think about dollars, conversions, dollars, Aussie dollars to the pound, we've got to think about um, how to actually buy these assets and, and, you know, what's the practicality behind it all. Um, but before we dive into that, there's one thing that I want to say. I, I spoke to a very intelligent um, investor, Adam Gahar. He runs a business called EG Funds. Now, EG Funds has more than $4 billion under management. And when he was on the podcast, he said something very interesting to me. Um, 
his father grew up in, I think it was Lebanon. And at that time, there was some kind of civil war and there's some, there some issues there. And all of his assets were basically in real estate and, and things in, within Lebanon. And suddenly he saw all of his money evaporate like that. And his learning from that experience was that he never wanted to have all of his eggs in one basket. He always wanted to have some of his investments in international markets so that if something were to happen one day, there's always that other avenue for wealth. So as an Australian, I found that very exciting. I mean, obviously, Australia is a very different market to the Middle East, but I do see a lot of value in having some assets you know, in other countries. Now, yep. one thing that you said there is, you know, Birmingham prices are sort of two to 300,000 pounds. So that's what, uh, four to 500,000 Aussie, roughly. About that, yep. yep. And from what I understand, it sounds like you need, what, a 20 to 30% deposit to, to, to really get going. Is that right? To, yep. to go and buy Generally. these properties? Exactly. So how it'll work is you'll pay your, I guess, very similar to Australia, you pay your reservation fee. Um, and you, that's generally from about £2,000 to about £5,000. So if we put that in, in dollars, looking at about, let's say, just about $4,000 to about $10,000. Now, once you've paid that and, and that's all sorted and, and contracts are getting reviewed and we're in that, that process, once we've executed those contracts, we're then, well, we're then asked to pay the remaining or the 25% deposit. In most cases, it is a 25% deposit. And the reason they do that is because you can generally go to your bank and ask them for a 75% buy to let mortgage. So you'll be paying all that cash to the developer upfront, you sit and wait. And then once uh, once it's completed, that 70, or you'll knock on the bank's door again, and you'll ask for that 75%, which will uh, then cover the remaining amount of that, uh, that property price. So that, I guess, yeah, very, to, to put it simply, yes, you'd be looking at about 20 to 25%. Most cases, you're looking at 25% um, as it just sits in the middle and it's easier for uh, for both parties, really. And is it, and Chris, is it, is it difficult for a foreigner to go and get a loan and, and to purchase over there? Are there different or additional taxes on the way through? No, they're quite, um, I guess, willing in, in the UK. They, they understand there's not enough houses in the UK at the moment. So they're almost encouraging property investment um, and, and want non-residents of the UK to be purchasing property in the UK as well. So there's no additional stamp duty uh, rates that get added on. There's no additional capital gains tax rates that get chucked on top as well from an expat or from, a, from an Australian purchasing in Australia as well. So it makes it a very easy process for someone living overseas that, might want to dabble in some international real estate, like you said, diversify that portfolio uh, and buy some property in the UK um, and, and get a very straightforward and, and easy process, very similar to or the exact same as what it would be for myself buying in the UK now. So it's, uh, yeah. So, so one thing that I was particularly excited about is some of the emerging markets. Now, obviously, you know, when we're thinking about, you know, let's just say that the places in Birmingham, um, and it's going to cost us, say, four or five hundred thousand Australian dollars, uh, and we have to come up. Let's just say, stump up a thirty percent deposit. That's, you know, um, nearly one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Maybe a bit, bit less. Say one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty thousand. That's still a lot of cash. Now, some of these other emerging markets that you've been looking at, Newcastle, Liverpool, we can go and access investments that are far less than you know, the two, 300,000 pounds, we're looking at what, 80, 90, 120, yeah, maybe 150,000 pounds? Yeah, around that. So 
I, Bolton's a great example, and this is another emerging market, but there's one in Bolton at the moment um, that they have one bedrooms going for about a hundred thousand pounds. So what's that about 180, 190,000 Aussie dollars at the moment. So that's the same. It is a 25% deposit for that. So you're still, you know, you're looking at about under 50 K um, for that 25% or about 50 K you could say um, as that 25%. So that's an emerging market. Bolton is just outside of the likes of Liverpool and Manchester kind of sits in the rings outside of both of those cities in between them in a sense. Um, and that's experiencing that ripple effect outside or from Liverpool and from Manchester as they continue to grow. And once again, capitalizing on a, on one of those, as you like, as you said, really the, the emerging markets um, and, and from a price point perspective, you're, you're still getting the same quality. It's still the same developers. It's just a more affordable entry point uh, and something that's yeah helping first time investors get onto the property ladder really. And also people looking to, like you're saying, diversify your portfolio. It's a, it's a more affordable option for people that don't have 150K, 200K sitting in the bank account because it's, yeah, that is a lot of money that uh, yeah, not many people have sitting in their, uh, in their bank. And, and the other thing that I was, that, that, you know, I was probably giving Charlotte a bit of anxiety because I want to go into this market and buy some stuff <laughs> is what really attracted me is one, the price point, Two, it was the rental yields. Like what kind of rental yields are you experiencing over there yeah. with some of these investments? Just a standard one or two Definitely. bedroom, you know, ap apartment or flat as you guys call sure. them. So for, if you were looking at, we'll just, I guess we'll mention Birmingham, Manchester and Liverpool quickly first. And as they're stronger markets and, and have performed quite well over the last three or four years now, rental yields have come down a little bit. You Two years ago, three years ago, you might be able to achieve a, a six and a half percent rental yield you're now looking more so around that five to five and a half percent rental yield for good quality stock in those three major cities when you look at more of the emerging markets and and bolton newcastle as you mentioned um then your yields really do start to explode and newcastle is a great example and i see a lot of potential in newcastle due to everything that's happening in the football world at the moment um but from a, from a yield perspective in Newcastle, you can achieve anywhere from about 9% to 12% in rental yield. Um, wow. And they're very student-centric, or Newcastle is a very student-centric city. Um, it has a very high population in people under the age of 25 who like to, who will rent. And they come up from down south as well, where they've been paying a bit more money to, to live to, for their accommodation on their rent. And they'll come up to Newcastle and they're willing to pay a little bit more for their rent. Um, at the end of the day, which really helps landlords, especially buy to let investors, uh, capitalizing on that market gets some very, very attractive rental yields in the north of England. So that's just a bit of an example. But I think Newcastle is is really, I give it another 12 months and I think it'll start to solidify its position uh, as in, as one of the, the main investment cities in the UK. Um, but I think there's a lot to look forward to with, with Newcastle. I think there's going to be some big things unfold uh, in that Newcastle market over the next 12 months. Well, give us a give give us a quick pitch. I mean, I know that we're pressed for time. You, you should be getting to bed soon. Um, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in the north of England. I went to Hadrian's Wall and I went to a place called Carlisle and down to Newcastle. Newcastle was a, a beautiful city. I was just awestruck yeah. by a lot of the architecture and it is on the water there. It's a beautiful place. Um, yeah. It can be rough Definitely. in some parts as well, certainly. But <laughs> exactly. um, but if, but but every every city has you know a, a bit of grime and a, a, but that sort of brings the color. 
Um, Definitely. What what is happening over in Newcastle? What what, yeah. what give us the, the top line? Sort of how big's the city? You know what's happening over cool. there, and what do you anticipate for that growth? Yeah. So at the moment, Newcastle is a sub one million population. It sits at about eight hundred and fifty from the last time I checked it. So there's still a decent, um, I guess, a decent number of people that are living in Newcastle. I think the opportunity lies in what's just happened in the Premier League and with Newcastle Football Club. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous when you start a conversation with some people and you say, oh, but Newcastle Football Club's been taken over. They just think you're, you're mad. But I think if we look at track record and what's happened in the past when We've seen Abu Dhabi take over Manchester City and what that did for Manchester. And it completely revitalised where Etihad Stadium is uh, in, in Manchester and just gave it a new life, essentially. And they, that Abu Dhabi um, consortium that bought Manchester City was about 10 years ago now, but they invested a lot of money into the city to modernise it, to bring it up to the level that they thought it should be at. And I think we're going to see a very similar thing with Newcastle but they're going to have more control over the city, as, as ridiculous as that sounds as well. But they partnered with um, the Saudi Arabian consortium that's purchased Newcastle Football Club has partnered with the Rubin Brothers. And the Rubin Brothers own about three quarters of Newcastle as it stands. And about a week after this consortium came together and purchased the club for £330 million, they then went and committed about £250 million into a new green energy um, development outside of Newcastle. It's about 30 to 35 minutes outside of Newcastle, but its purpose is to provide green energy for Newcastle, the city itself. And I think that with that plan, with that concept in, in mind and what they're thinking to do, I think there's big plans in the future for investment into the city to revitalise Newcastle, to bring it back to where it was in its heyday. And, and Newcastle itself is, is quite a modern city. It's got very good infrastructure. It's got some, some some large corporates that have relocated up to Newcastle as well. Um, and it's got connectivity um, down to London. Yes, it takes about three and a half hours at the moment, but it's still got that, that means of access as well. Um, and I think that with the help of this Saudi Arabian consortium and what it's going to do for the football club and how they're going to get more international recognition, I think we're going to start to see a lot of investment put into Newcastle over the next, it might not be the next 12 months, but maybe the next two or three years when it starts to come into effect. But I think that there's a, a massive opportunity there for Newcastle. Um, and, and thanks to the, the backing of football, the, the world's game. And I think it's really going to help it yeah, put Newcastle on the map a little bit more than what it is at the moment. So we'll see. Exciting times, though. Very exciting times for Newcastle. Man, I can hear it in your voice. So if you're going to pick one place to, for your next investment, where are you personally investing? I am going... Well, I've, <laughs> I've, I find it tough to pick one at the moment. I'm massive... I'm a massive fan of Birmingham. I think Birmingham presents an awesome opportunity. The only thing that's stopping me with Birmingham at the moment is the fact that I want to buy, or ideally buy one or two, or so two or three, you could say. Um, and from a price point perspective, it's a little bit difficult for me to do that there. But with Newcastle, Newcastle being the uh, sitting level at the moment, um, I think from a price point perspective and affordability perspective and, um, and the growth that we'll see in Newcastle will be sublime. Um, Newcastle is also up there for me, so uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't bag one or the other, but I'd say that yeah, if for, for me personally at the moment Newcastle suits what I'm trying to do, um, so Newcastle is probably at the top of that list, followed by followed by Birmingham. Mate, so, yeah, thank you very much for your deep and thorough analysis. For all of you out there that watch this, I hope you got some real value out of this. I'm certainly excited about jumping in and investing back in the UK and just getting over there. Really, um, Let's get you here. 
For any of you that are interested in investing in the UK or in the European markets, do reach out to Chris. Um, it's chris at wealthy.com.au. Um, make sure to watch his podcast and to leave some comments, like and subscribe to his show as well. Um, and again, if you've enjoyed this show or have any uh, comments for questions for Chris, leave them in the comments below. Subscribe. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, short and sweet. Um, we'll catch you all later. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dom. It's been great to be here.